Hey, everybody, welcome to another podcast with The Road to 100 presented by Mallard Bay, your best guide and outfitter solutions, Benelli Firearms, best shotguns on the market, Apex Ammunitions, Lacrosse Boots, keep those feet warm, RW Coolidge, hands down, coolest nostalgic leather and canvas goods a waterfowler could ever want. Sound gear, got to protect that hearing, guys. Be smart. Um, Montana Knife Company, you got to eat those birds, guys. No better knife on the market than Montana Knife Company. And SCI. SCI, Safari Club International. For all your conservation needs, um, those guys do a tremendous job at looking out for the welfare and benefit of hunters and wildlife around the world. And we could not be more grateful. And in this episode, you'll get to know the host of The Road to 100, myself, Kyle, and Ryan Bassham. And we'll just talk about our starts and beginnings in filmmaking and the waterfowl industry and everything that brought us to this point on the journey for The Road to 100. So stay tuned and enjoy this episode of The Road to 100 podcast. In the heart of every waterfowl hunter, there's a memory where it all began. For us, the waterfowl life started in the southern United States in the flooded timbers and expansive marshland. But as our journey unfolded, the quest for waterfowl led us beyond our home. The passion eventually takes us to different flyways, different countries, and beyond. We discovered that the culture of waterfowl transcends borders. And so, a daring dream took root. A dream to hunt 100 different species of waterfowl across the globe. We wanted to share the story of adventure and encounters with fellow hunters, each sharing the same passion as us. The landscapes will change, the species will vary, but the passion remains the same. One dream, a long road, 100 species. This is The Road to 100. All right, everybody. Here we are. Podcast number one. Numero uno. Numero uno. The uh, the journey is just kicking off. And um, if you don't know what that journey is, we're going to tell you about it. So the road to 100. Time right. and I have been dreaming this up for about a year now, a little over a year. Finally happening. And no more mystery around it. I, I think we, we tell people what the heck we're doing Yep. and um, tell them who the heck we are yep. and why we're doing this. Well, it's a it's a little weird, first of all, because in chronological order, <laughs> we've filmed a couple episodes. We have. Um, we just haven't had time in between filming to do editing, so I'm getting caught up on editing. We're we're rehashing our pilot episode mm-hmm. right now, and so we've got an intro for the Road to 100 series, and we're just now and and when we're in the field, we record podcasts as well. So right. we're basically seasoned vets. Kind of. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> but the people don't know that. But the people don't know that. And this is, so we may feel a little bit more natural probably. than we probably would with our first ever podcast. But That's um, we've been interviewing some people on our trips with the podcast. And um, the most common question we get from everybody is, how did you come up with it? And what is the road to 100? Right. So in our first ever podcast that will be released... Um, we're going to cover just that. Yeah. But, so, I, but I feel like for people to really understand understand the answers to those questions, we have to give them background on who the heck we are. Yeah. And so... That's a... Yeah. That's an important part because, you know, as any story, you need character development. And that's one thing that we don't have a lot of time for, for our characters and for us as well. Right. We're so busy doing the thing, setting up decoys, shooting birds, cleaning birds, driving, flying, all the stuff that we, you'll see our characters build and friendships build and everything else in this series. 
but you don't get a lot of like personal background right off the bat. So if you just watched the first episode and you were appointed here, you're about to watch the first episode, which you should right now. Um, this will be a great intro to tell you a little bit about Ryan and Kyle, and that's us, obviously, who are the, um, Ryan's the guy who's been around the world, and I'm the guy who has hunted a little bit, um, and films a lot. So between the two of us, we've created this series, and, um, we just want to give you a little background, I guess, on us. Yeah. Um, so Ryan, kick us off. Gosh, I gotta start? Yes. Yeah, I jumped on it first so that I wouldn't have to. I knew what you were doing. All right, so um, yeah, I feel like, too, a common theme that people will see as we we try to tell these unique stories of the individuals that we have as guests from one location to the next and kind of help us build this worldwide story um, is we like to start with that background. Like, who are you? Like, how did it all start? And so I guess for me to answer the question that I'm used to asking other people um, you know, it all started for me when I was a little kid. I grew up in Northeast Texas, um, and my dad took me deer hunting. If if you grew up in in Texas, you probably did a little bit of deer hunting, mm-hmm. and and so that's kind of where I cut my teeth. And you know, my dad took me out a good bit with my cousins and my my uncles, and um, that's where I kind of fell in love with the outdoors. And for the first, gosh, probably six seven years that I hunted you know, I didn't really think much outside of deer hunting and I was content with that. It was exciting. I loved it. It was an opportunity to kind of get to, um, a piece of family land that had been in our family for generations and enjoy time with my dad. But, um, as I got older, uh, I had an opportunity to, um, go out with a cousin who convinced me that duck hunting was cool. And I didn't think it was very cool, um, until he took me. And so, I just remember it was like my first true addiction ever, like fell in love, head over heels, standing there in this, you know, mass, like buck brush flooded, um, smart weed, you know, timber bottom right along the sulfur river. And, uh, man, daylight started to break, birds started to trickle in and just that, that sound of wind cutting through the wings and, it just, I was hooked. I was hooked. Yeah. And um, it was a good challenge. There was a lot to learn. And I loved all the aspects of just what it was. And so from that time forward, I, I um, you know, really started spending a lot of time outside of sports. I, I played baseball and football growing up, but spent a lot of time really, uh, you know, studying waterfowl, studying different places around the world to hunt other things too. I, I like to hunt everything. Waterfowl is my favorite. Um, but I had big dreams and as a middle school kid, as a high schooler outside of chasing girls around and, and playing sports, hunting was, was everything. And so, um, I kind of learned a little bit about, you know, where some of these birds lived around the world and never really thought that I'd ever get to go see it, um, or hunt those birds or never thought I'd really leave the United States. And so, um, it was just a pipe dream, but, uh, that's kind of where my, my initial, you know, addiction to waterfowl hunting and, and the desire and the passion to go and, and explore more beyond just a mallard in my backyard, which is still probably my favorite. But <laughs> now that I've gone and done all these things, I'm like, yeah, that's still my favorite, but yeah, still had that, that adventure bug. Like I wanted to see the world. I wanted to experience new things. I wanted to, to learn the how, why, what, where, all of that, um, and 
all with the thought process as I got older that it would help me become a better hunter no matter where I am in the world, no matter what I'm hunting. And so that that pretty much got me through through high school. I think what's unique about my story, um, my wife and I actually are high school sweethearts. We met in middle school. Um, and this 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 is important for me because it's who I am. Um, but I, I joined a church uh, when I was 17 years old. And through that process, really um, came closer to Jesus Christ and knew that that was going to change the course of my life. And so I made a decision upon graduating high school that I wanted to serve a mission for our church. And so before I went to college, um, I lived in Ecuador down in South America for two years as a missionary. And for that two years, I didn't hunt, but I preached the gospel. And that was the most important thing I could have been doing with my life at that time. Um, my testimony of, of Christ and the gospel is important to me. And, um, you know, I, I left kind of thinking my wife would, my girlfriend at the time, wouldn't be waiting around for me. I, I was at peace with that. I, I knew I had to go do this. It was important to me to share this happiness that I had found with other people. And so um, that's a big part of my story. I, I can't not tell it. Um, I came home and was fortunate enough to uh, pick up right where we left off. I married my wife, Marissa, two months after I got home. And we've got a wonderful family here in Bozeman, Montana. But um, between you know that time of uh, coming home and starting to go to school again, I went to Texas A&M University, got a degree in um, ag business, which I do nothing with. Um, but it was a good time. Go <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so, um, so yeah, uh, while I was at A&M, you know, the, I started hunting again. I guided a little bit for waterfowl down on the Katy Prairie and Garwood and some of those areas. And um, I kind of got bit by that adventure bug again. You know, I'd lived in a third world country at this point. So now my, you know, my curiosity is really spiked because now I have, I've lived outside the country. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, this is more obtainable than I thought. And I got very comfortable with being in uncomfortable situations because of those experiences I had while living in Ecuador as a missionary, um, which hundreds of stories for another day. Yeah. But um, I, I I was like, you know what, man, like waterfowl still my favorite, you know, there's birds all over the world. I, I want to do this. And so as I started exploring more of that, um, I started talking to different individuals that had gone and, and accomplished a lot of great things already and, and started learning from them. Guys like Pat Pitt, um, who most people don't know who he is, but the guy's a freaking legend. Um, and he really inspired me to, to go and see the world through waterfowl hunting. And so that's kind of the turning point for me in college was starting to figure out, okay, how do I make this dream a reality? And one thing led to another, I got my degree, um, you know, actually worked in the running shoe industry, uh, for a company called Newton running. I used to, you can't tell now, but used to be an athlete, um, and so I did a lot. I have of, seen pictures. I can verify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under the the seventy pounds of fat, there there was a skinny athletic guy in there. But uh, you know, I did a lot of triathlon, endurance running, um, like ultra running, things like that. But uh, baseball wasn't wasn't meant for me. My shoulder blew out. Couldn't do that anymore. So I, I got into endurance sports. But while I was doing that, I started working as a booking agent. My parents own a travel agency, and so. It, it all just kind of all the variables to the equation were right. I had a passion. My parents were travel agents. And so I got into this booking agency stuff and started helping people um, book hunts to different places around the world. And my uh, 
my desire was to go and host these trips to be more than just a guide, which is a lot of fun, but you don't get to hunt much for yourself. And so I started hosting trips as a booking agent, started my own booking agency with my dad as an offshoot of the travel agency that my parents were running. And next thing I knew, I was working in the running shoe industry. I was working as a booking agency. And then I had this opportunity to go and, and work at Drake Waterfowl. And so at this point in time, like social media had started to become really more popular. Um, Instagram had just started. And I was like, just, I wanted a cool place to put my photos. There was zero intent outside of just, my wife was like, you should post your photos on there. It's a cool way to keep up with friends and family. I was like, sure, whatever. And so, so yeah, like, but all those things, I think collectively got me to this point to where about 2013, 14, whatever it was, um, I was posting a lot of my hunting adventures on social media. I had a business acumen with sales and marketing because of what I'd been doing in my career. And I was also working as a booking agency traveling around the world hunting. And so I had these, this unique skill set in my back pocket where I could do the business side of things from a sales and marketing perspective. I traveled the world hunting. Um, and I was kind of on the front end of social media and content creation for that time. And so one thing led to another and I was at Drake Waterfowl and then I had an opportunity to work at Sitka Gear. Um, learned a lot of great things with those companies. It was a ton of fun. Um, and then got to go out on my own, do my own thing, which is even more of the dream. Uh, didn't know that was going to be for me, but it was the best thing to ever happen to me to kind of get pushed out of one dream and into the next. And so it allowed for, for you and I to meet actually here in Bozeman. Yeah. And, um, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And then from there, we, I think you should tell your side and then how we came up with this whole road to 100 idea. But I think all those things that I just explained about myself and, you know, kind of what my background is, it's, it's allowed us to get to this point, at least with the, the part of this project that I can help with. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we actually grew up in the same, like 40 minutes apart, different timelines, right. but 40 minutes apart in Northeast Texas, which yep. is crazy. And we hunted sort of the same area. You had a honey hole. I was hunting public. So, I hunted public too, but I did have a honey yeah, hole. Yeah, <laughs> you, you had a great, yeah. And uh, so I guess I'll start there. Um, grew up kind of all around Texas. My dad was a coach, so we moved a lot. Um, and my dad's a really creative guy. Um, he did a lot of art stuff in college. He painted, um, ended up getting his degree in kinesiology, but always loved the arts, really creative guy, passed that on to me, fortunately. Um, and so from an early age, I guess I just had this in me, like the, the need, desire to create. And, um, I started early on, I think I was like in junior high and I just had this bug. I, I wanted one of the early GoPros and, I kind of thought that that was too expensive. So mm -hmm. instead I asked my family for this at a time Polaroid made this tube camera that was <laughs> as close to a GoPro, but like I thought affordable. So I didn't ask for too much for Christmas, you know? Um, so I got this thing and it was so awkward because it's like this tube. It looks like a hot dog, a white hot dog almost. And you put it on the side of your head and it was the most awful design ever. There was <laughs> a reason there those. was, yeah, there was a reason those didn't go on past version one <laughs> and GoPro crushed it. And I was like, dang, I probably should have got a GoPro. Um, but I started going around. I was, you know, shooting water moccasins, hopping creeks, just doing kid stuff, you know, East Texas stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and people around here, dude, they don't do snakes. I've 
I no. realized. And me and my buddies, junior high through high school, we would walk around in these creeks and we'd kill like 30 water moccasins for the guy that owned the ranch. <laughs> and so that was just kind of like a fun thing we did. And that's how it started. I was showing friends and family like, oh, I killed this many snakes, you know, like, and the, the cows are clear. They're safe, you know. <laughs> um, but that's just kind of how it started. And I would do little edits and um, bring them back. And it was just a way for me to show my outdoor adventures to family and friends and it just kind of grew and developed for there. Um, in one of my high school classes, I opted to take an AV class because I heard that it was easy. And that really got me into a deeper level of editing. AV. Um, audiovisual. Most people don't know yeah. what that is. Oh, okay. Yeah. AV. <laughs> if, if you have a chance to take that and you're interested in this stuff, take it and learn because – and I didn't even have any interest at all in editing either. Um, I was friends with this girl who was like a whiz at mm. editing and I was like, hmm, I'm just, I'm Mr. Big Idea Guy. I don't need to edit. And so we would do these funny skits and the school loved it. And, and this school played it every day in the morning. You would, you would basically like grind and do an edit and then they'd play it. Well, I say every morning. It was like at the end of the week, they would do a recap. Mm. And everyone always loved the comedy sketches. Like that's what everyone, I don't want to be like. Oh, it was our stuff that was good. It was a bunch of people that did it. It was like SNL, but on a high school level. It was dorky. It was horrible. <laughs> but awesome. everyone and the elementary kids would come up and be like, oh, I saw your Star Wars skit or whatever. <laughs> and it just like it, it makes you feel good. And, and as an artist, like that's the feeling you crave. You know, nothing you make will ever be good enough. But having people come up to you and say, oh, I liked that. How do I do that? And that just started the creative juice for me. Um, and I didn't really I was my dad was a basketball coach. His dad was a basketball coach. And so basketball just runs in the blood. But I popped out and only grew to about five foot seven. So obviously I kind of took the hint from God that <laughs> basketball wasn't in my future. <laughs> um, so, card for life. Yeah. So so when I capped out at five seven sophomore year, I was like, okay, I need to start searching other avenues because the NBA, I, I can't jump that high. I'm not spud, so I can't dunk. And so anyways, I got more and more into the uh, audio visual stuff. And I actually went to school where my dad coached and taught at Avenger, and uh, which is also where my grandfather won a basketball championship. And so um, deep family history there. And it was a small school. So I was playing basketball and I used the game camera to make this corny don't drink and drive or text and text and drive that's what it was don't text and drive competition and it was like a statewide competition <laughs> and um i didn't know that my science teacher actually told me that i had to do it for some kind of extra credit or something because math and science are not my strong suit so i i did this film with a couple of buddies with the game camera and used it as an excuse to skip a few periods and didn't think anything of it the science teacher submitted it um, come like a month later, these people show up at our school with a big check, like the big, awesome, you know, big <laughs> checks. And it was like four grand or something. And we'd won the statewide competition against like Dallas, like strictly no like artist schools and like all these preppy kids and we'd won. And they're like, so do you have like the, you know, we, we usually present this in the auditorium with everyone there. And I was like, I, I get the call to go to the principal's office and the principal tells me this, like, we didn't know that you did this. And I was like, I didn't think that we'd win. And <laughs> so we won and that was cool. And that's what kind of in my head, I was like, whoa, that was good enough to win something. I can do this for a career. So then I started looking into um, colleges where I could go in the South because at the time I didn't want to go anywhere in the North. <laughs> just being a, a proud Southerner, I was like, I don't want to be around Yankees. I just want to stay in my bubble. Um Hindsight, I wish I would have gone somewhere else because there isn't strong video schools no. in the South. But 
Um, at, while all this is happening, I am trying to dabble in hunting for myself. Um, no one in my family really hunted. I didn't have anyone to really take me out. I'd been with my grandpa and my dad somewhat for deer. Everyone has shot a whitetail from East Texas. If you're into it, it that's not a hard thing to do. So right. I'd done that, and I was like, eh, that's okay. I don't like sitting in a stand for forever. Um, and so I wanted to start doing waterfowl because I, I see some of the guys in my school doing it, um, starting to see some stuff on social media. And I was like, that seems a little bit faster paced. I want to try that. And so I tried it on public land, knowing nothing, got roasted at a few boat ramps for my ghetto setup with a PVC blind with grass that I'd stole from some neighbor and kind of <laughs> weaved in there. Um, and I was just shooting Passover wood ducks. Like it was not yeah. a good spot. I, I mean, I'm sky busting, didn't even know what a choke was. So <laughs> it's just like shoot three shells and just pray to God that something falls and <laughs> thank you, Jesus. A few of them fell and I was like, man, yeah. And I'd scoop them up. And I think at one point I, I sent you this picture. I shot a, a spoon bill <laughs> and I thought it was just a nuked, like radioactive mallard. I, this is how little I knew about anything. So I, I can't confidently say I didn't break laws at any point during my hunting career. It, it I have might no have clue. happened, but it, you're in Northeast Texas. So it's so, kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so I started doing that and, as my video career advanced and I'm in college for film, I'm running my own film business, um, I'm getting hit up by some friends from high school who are actually good at duck hunting and want to make hype reels. And they're making their way in their career to be outfitters. And so we're, we're all kind of coming to a head in, in our careers and trying to get better. And so I'm out with people who actually know what they're doing. I'm like, whoa, you can actually shoot a limit. It's possible. <laughs> and so we're doing it on public, doing it on private and on leases. And I'm starting to get into it and, and making films. And um, so from there, you know, I end up graduating college. And I know that I always knew that I wanted to use film to see the world and adventure. Like adventure is my thing. Like that's what I want to do. I love hunting. Um, and I love the places that hunting can take you. And so I'm trying to think about like, how do I make my video career align with that? Cause at the time I'm just doing commercial type work to pay the bills. And, um, so I'm, I'm saying to myself, I want to start applying for jobs anywhere in Alaska, Idaho, and Montana. And I ended up getting a job offer in Montana to come up and be the creative head of this app that ended up never launching, but it was a great experience to be up here in Montana and seeing this world. And I'd fly fished up here before and, and driven with a buddy. We'd make road trips every summer. So I knew I wanted to be somewhere up here and I landed up here and in the office I was working in, Ryan is coming in and out of there and we kind of knew each other a little bit and then refresh my memory here. When did we actually start um, doing stuff together? So I, I think I remember our, our mutual friend had had me watch something that you had produced and I was like, this is really good because up to that point, my you know, career, I helped be involved with um, Drake's Migration Nation over at Drake Waterfowl. And then I helped, you know, co-produce a lot of the the short films for Sitka Gear. And I saw your work and I was like, man, this kid's fighting beneath his weight class. <laughs> so uh, that piqued my interest to get to know you more, to be quite honest. And I was yeah. like, you seemed cool. Like I knew you were cool and fun to hang out with, but then I was like, oh, he's actually talented too. Yeah. This isn't just like some <laughs> dude that, yeah. you know, our buddy had found out over on yeah. Main Street or something. So um, I think we got to talk in there and at one point we thought about creating our own agency. Yeah. 
And yeah. that did not work it either. No. Not because of you and I, just yeah. things didn't work out. And yeah. um, we were pulled in too many different directions. And which is, which is, I think, a good thing. It is. The further I've gotten in my career, I've realized that, like, if you're an artist, I mean, inevitably, it, you, you, you try to convince yourself otherwise just for right. the money or for whatever. But there's a point. If you're, if you stick with it long enough that you realize you have to do what you need to do as mm-hmm. a creative and have control of your projects and not like the commercial work and stuff, like you're, you're stuck to a script for a time. Right. And I was doing wedding films too at that time. Yeah. And, and that is like, if, if I hear, um, <laughs> Chris Stapleton one more time, <laughs> I, I will lose it. Um, so, so I was glad to be out of that, but you, you inevitably find out that like yeah. you need to be in charge of your creativity right? and it's, it, you, you find outlets when you're working mm-hmm. commercial, but inevitably I think where you want to be is painting your own paintings, right? Definitely. Like that's what you don't want to do well, commission work. And, you want to do your and own when, thing. And what you were doing at that time, you weren't really able to do that. Yeah. And I think about the same time I had an opportunity to go and do, um, a project for one of, uh, my partners at the time still is Benelli. And so we went up to Canada together. Yeah. And that's, and I was like, Hey, I would like to bring this guy. He seems like he really knows what he's doing. And that, I think was the first time we yeah. did anything together outside of just hanging out in the office. Yeah. And Which so, was nerve wracking because neither of us, I mean, we kind of hung out, but then oh, going, I didn't know driving you. all the way to Canada for however many hours. <laughs> I mean, you know. that was seven hours up there and yeah. seven hours back. I was like, am I going to leave this guy in Canada because I can't stand him? <laughs> yeah. Or... And that's, that's when I found out that we were both from Texas. So, yeah, exactly. Which, we which, didn't even know where we, we yeah. were from. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess it just kind of branched from there. And, and I've been slowly working on my craft and, and getting into the outdoor industry um, and the hunting industry and just finding my style too creatively sure. i think it, it never stops but i think i'm finally getting to the point to where if someone was to see my work they'd know that it was yeah, me which is did. like uh, that's where you want to yeah. be you know i think I, I remember when we first started kind of working together if you want to call it that we're we've been more friends than anything yeah this is like now we're working together yeah after we were friends for a few years mm-hmm. but but i feel like you were you're still trying to find your style and it's yeah. definitely like even I would say even with the waterfowl stuff we did a few years ago up till now. Oh, big change. Big change. Yeah. But it's really cool too. Yeah. I think it's hard not to because I find this inspirational. I hope other people, no matter what they're doing in life right now. So tell us the story about oh, yeah. I so, forgot about that. <laughs> this is pretty important. Because yeah. it's kind of led to where we're yeah. at too. So the app didn't work out. The 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 reason you came up to work here, right. that business yeah. decided to to yeah. close it up. Yeah. And so then Tell right, us the story. as that <laughs> happened, I um if if y'all don't know, the Bozeman area is super expensive to live in. Um people in their thirties and forties <laughs> are living with roommates still because it's it's I think what's our median right now? Our median uh family home is like eight hundred something thousand dollars. It's, it's nine hundred something it's, like that. It's it's, it's not achievable, especially for someone that's, you know, in between jobs. And so to make ends meet when when this app stopped paying my checks, basically, um and, and I didn't have a job, there was a decision there like do I do I go back to what's comfortable and achievable and do commercials and edit to Chris Stapleton and do weddings or do I stick to where I know I want to be and just grind it out and the only job that I could get was overnight stocking shelves at Albertsons in Belgrade um, which is right next to Bozeman for those of you who don't know and um, that was miserable I hated that Um, (laughs) listened to a lot of music and podcasts 
um, just putting cans on shelves. And I'm, I'm, you know, around 16, 17-year-old kids, you know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. Maybe my grandpa was right. Maybe a filmmaking degree was a mistake. <laughs> and uh, so that was like a kind of a dark time. I remember texting you at some point and being like, dude, this has got to be like if someone were to make a documentary and follow me, I think I'd end up being the Joker movie because I'm, <laughs> I'm in a dark place right now. I did. I wasn't happy, but I knew – like, and I did that. I wanted the night shift. I put that on myself because I wanted to be able to film during the day. And, and I was doing some projects during the day when I could. I wanted that flexibility to be able to stay up for 24 right. hours and, and still do what I cared about or I would have lost my sanity completely. And so I'm doing that for a while, just making myself stay up here just to, to pay the bills, to, to stay up here. And it, it's totally true what they say that the, it gets the darkest and the coldest right before the dawn. And that was 100% true because um, some projects came together right around there and allowed me to um, – well, one thing that happened was that the office that I was working in, the reason that you were up there was Peaks Equipment, which is a backcountry hunting company. Um, I did some just free pro bono work and – Trying um, to get your foot in the door. Yeah, and, and Ryan kind of went up to the plate for me and kind of said, hey, this guy's actually pretty good. And um, got my foot in the door there and got on somewhat of a retainer. And from there, um, I ended up starting to be the camera guy and filming for Ryan Lampers and Brian Call for Gritty. And from there, flash forward to now, um, the reason I can't remember any of this stuff is because I am hyped up on caffeine all the time because <laughs> I have like six different projects and eight different edits and my brain is everywhere. It's been a blur. Like it's, it, is, it is so hectic now. Like I'm at the point to where I have to figure out like, okay, I got to start turning down stuff, which okay. was that a year from now, like in the past when Dude, this happened, like a little bit over a year, year and a half, maybe. year and a half. I, at that point I would have said, you're crazy. Like I, I, I there's no way I'll get to that point as a creative because it's, it is super hard as a photographer, hard. filmmaker, like whatever to actually make a living and to get to a point to where you have to turn down jobs is like that's where you inevitably want to be. Right. And I'm just super grateful Happen that fast. life happened the way it did. <laughs> and you just, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can to keep and, up with and work now. And now you, you live off grid in a cabin in the yes. middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So so immediately, as soon as I had the chance, I um, loved my roommates. I don't like a roommate situation. I did yeah. that in college. And that was like, ooh, because I was an only child growing up like you. And I couldn't wait to get a roommate. It's like the brother I never had, which right. we just went on a trip to Wisconsin with my roommate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Love that guy. And he just like, he was the first halfway normal dude I roomed with. I'm like, it's you, you're going to be my best friend. And um, so he ended up just through timing coming on a hunt with us. But I hate living with people as an only child. You get used to just having Dirty your thing. stuff in the fridge. And if there's a mess, it's your mess. And so my decision was the only thing I could afford. They're like, oh, you'll never afford a house in Bozeman. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Even even making a decent living now, no, huh? I can't afford a place in Bozeman. Right. Um, unless I hit the lottery, I can't buy a house yeah, in Bozeman. So the closest thing I could do was buy some land. And we had actually been filming in Africa mm -hmm. um, for a project. And I got back and I had told my roommates like on the way out the door, I'm like, <laughs> by the way, I'm moving my stuff oh, to a storage right. unit and I'm going to go to Africa. And when I get back, I'm not here. I'm not here anymore. That's right. So, um, I got back and I had a piece of land and that's it. I <laughs> so, forgot about that. You bought yeah. the piece of land while we were in. Yeah. Zambia. There was, there was no backup <laughs> plan. Like it, it, the, the papers went through 
while we were in Zambia. That's right. I and I, we, we touched that. down and like the realization hits me because like, Africa's so fun and we're seeing a bunch of things and we like touched down in Montana again. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I don't have a place to live. <laughs> and so um, Ryan Lampers actually let me use his little camping, camping trailer, trailer and my yeah. dad came up and we had no business building an off-grid home. But y'all did. But we did and it's still standing, it's still standing. somehow. Um, uh, uh, it's cold right now in Montana, <laughs> uh, with just a fireplace and the solar panels don't particularly work when it's winter. So I'm figuring all this stuff out while juggling all these projects right. and, you know, cranking the generator, run my laptop and my hard drives and I'm editing away and my, my feet are cold while I'm editing and I'm scooting closer <laughs> to the fire. So, uh, but life's awesome. That's, this is what adventure. I wanted. I wouldn't trade that for yeah. anything. I love the off grid lifestyle. I may smell worse now than I have before. Smell like a stove uh, every once in a while. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) stove's better than BO. I kind of smoke myself out sometimes with the fireplace to cover up the the sin of not having. So all my water recently froze and I have no water reservoir. Um, uh, So all my, uh, right now what I had was a bunch of five gallon just bottles that I come in and I have an outdoor shower that I moved indoor and um, I'm kind of concerned about the propane smell in the house but it's it's been fine so far Um, but we got back from a trip recently i think it was when we went up to canada with coal we got back and we had a cold snap and it busted all my five gallon i just didn't think we were gonna have a cold snap so i got to figure out my water situation it's um the priority right now is editing showers are like secondary right (laughs) (laughs) so i'm becoming the smelly artist um, so but yeah, crazy. so that brings us up to speed, both of our yeah. lives kind of coming to a point. That's how it came to a point. Yeah. It's, it is kind of crazy to think about though, how all of those things had to happen yeah. in both of our lives to, to our, those branches to right. meet and come to this road to two, 100. Two dudes from East Texas. Yeah. Meet in Bozeman. Meet in Bozeman. And with similar, yeah. you know, aspirations for adventure right. and yeah. Yeah. It's been really cool. Um, yeah. I think too, um, you know, the, I think the project that we did together that really kind of kicked off the road to 100 idea was, uh, what we did. We went back to East Texas Mm -hmm. together in the place where, um, you know, this was like a gosh, fourth generation, um, dairy farm Mm -hmm. is where I grew up hunting. And we did a a film project that was basically along the lines of, you know, um, it was kind of my story and how I've hunted all over the world now, but if, this, the answer is always the same. Anytime somebody asks me, man, if you could hunt anywhere one more time, where would you go? And, and that's the place. It's mm-hmm. it's where it all started. It's where I fell in love with waterfowl hunting. Yeah. And so in the process of shooting that and talking about it and kind of reliving like all these places I've been to, et cetera, yeah. um, the idea came up of, I think you were asking me some questions about waterfowl species and yeah. how many. And so- Because yeah. b- before we left to- East Texas, we we hopped on a plane, flew down there, filmed this project. Mm-hmm. Before that, I think that was one of my first times coming to your house. <laughs> There's Beast. <laughs> Beast the duck dog. Yeah. Uh, which is uh anyways. <laughs> got distracted there. Um anyways, we we grouped kind of here to make a game plan to go to East Texas, and that was the first time that I was in this room with all of these maps. Right. Right. And so uh, seeing those for the first time, I'm asking questions about like, these kind of look crazy. Like there's an eider and then there's some things around here that at the time and still, don't I don't know half are. of these things, yeah. which <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really good at one thing and that's 
filmmaking. The rest of it's kind of like it's spotty. Right. So uh, I haven't had time to to deep dive into all these species. But I, I was looking around this room and I'm like, man, that's crazy. And then it clicked with me like, oh, waterfowl's a place that you can live that lifestyle of adventure. And it's not oh, yeah. just, you know, the things that you grew up with. And, you right. know, because I thought the only thing to the world was flooded timber and wood duck hunting. Right. So uh, to see that kind of opened up was the first time. And then I was like, well, how many birds have you actually shot? And it was, what was the number at the time? Uh, at the time, it would have been 76. 76. And, and you were like, and you were you were saying like, oh, well, right. in, in my mind, there's like this list of like the 100. And that's what I want to get That's to. always been my goal. I was just, yeah. over the last decade of my life, I've just been trying to get to 100 waterfowl yeah. species. And that's the, that was the magical number. And like, it's official enough for me. So I was like, well, <laughs> dude, at some There's point, more than that, but yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, that's, that's our goal. And, you know, that's our official goal, road yeah. to 100. <laughs> Yep. And um, so it's become both of our goals, but I, I just thought at the time, like my creative brain was like, that is Road to 100 is a cool name. We need to do something. At the time, we thought that maybe we would do it like, oh, let's right. follow Ryan's story as he gets those and it'll be spread out over 10 years or whatever. Yeah. And then your brain with the marketing and, and money and financials and trip planning <laughs> kind of sort of like, no, we're not taking that long. We're going to yeah. do this right and we're going to get sponsors. And we're, that's, that's how Sweden happened. We, we right. talked to Mallard Bay and they're like, oh, that's awesome. Let's make it Let's happen. Yeah. And we did our pilot episodes in Sweden and since followed up with some awesome sponsors. I mean, we yeah. hit up Benelli, who you had a relationship yeah. with. Um, First Light came on board. We've got Apex. Apex. Um, R.W. Coolidge. R.W. Coolidge. Um, Lacrosse. And, yep. and, and I think people, obviously, like when I heard it, I was like, that's a, cool story yeah and i think other people are seeing that and just right. it's awesome to see super thankful for the sponsors that believe in oh, this vision no ahead of time they've seen some of the stuff that i've done that's the thing they followed like, your career we don't have a product yet as we <laughs> sit here yeah doing this podcast no one's actually seen even yeah. episode one and what we're trying to accomplish long term but which i know how scary that must be from a sponsor's perspective scary. but yeah it's a lot of pressure on the editor too i don't know yeah. who he is but <laughs> help him um yeah so it's just it this fortune has kind of fallen in our laps right. and we want to make sure that that's clear. Like yeah. this isn't the old British guy with the monocle, like <laughs> I must hunt in every country in the world and I'm better than everyone. That's, yeah. that's not what this is about. We're, we just hit the lotto in, in yeah. our lives and, and, it, and it happens. That's, that's how it happens. That's how people win Super Bowls. That's how inevitably all things, it's that road that leads you to a certain exactly. place. And now we're on the road to 100 and it's just, it just happened. We right. just happened to be the two goofy, lucky guys and that one guy can film and one guy knows way too much about birds. And blind squirrel finds a nut every once in yeah. a while. And danged if we aren't a couple blind squirrels yeah. getting super lucky is the way I see yeah. it. But, you know, I think something you said too that has become really important for this project. Like, since we set out, and I've had to wrestle with you a little bit on this one, but I don't want this to be about any one individual. Right. I look at this as. You know, the, the road to 100 is yes, we're kind of, we're going to show this journey of collecting 100 species around the world, but it's not about a person. It's about the community of worldwide waterfowl hunting. It's about yeah. us having a unique opportunity to basically be investigative journalists and hosts yeah. and have very interesting <laughs> guests come with us to each location that we go to and tell the stories of all these unique people that we meet, 
along the way, whether they be guides or outfitters mm-hmm. or buddies who have invited us to come and hunt with them. Um, we're, we're inviting some other, you know, guests along the way to, to share their yeah. stories and why they love this world of waterfowl hunting as well. And, um, I think that's what makes it special. It's not about, like you said, one guy or two guys yeah. checklisting a bunch of birds. It's so much bigger and more important than that. And hopefully, um, is going to inspire people to follow their dreams, like yep. become a cameraman, be, you know, chase it, whatever it is that you're interested in, go for it. If it's traveling around and hunting, awesome. If it's starting yeah. your own business, awesome. The point is don't be afraid to go down a road that is hard to navigate and it's going to have bumps. Just get out there and do it. Grit yeah. your teeth, bear it, go. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's what both of us live for. Like you're following your dream. I'm following my dream. Like at the end of the day, both of our goals is to have, if, if one person sees it and is inspired by it and is entertained by it, right. That checks both boxes for us. Like, Hey, follow your dream, whatever that dream may be. Like we're, we're just trying to inspire people and tell a great story and meet right. interesting, cool people along the way and show this adventure in a way that you want to watch and listen totally um, along with. And yeah, it's, it is interesting because the initial idea was like, I was just like, well, Ryan's got 20 something birds left. Plus just <laughs> yeah. film him do his thing. And yeah. that's that as the idea developed, you were like, well, you need to be a character. I was like, nope. I don't, no, I, the, I, behind the camera, I go behind the camera and, and in front now, <laughs> and now it's in front and people are watching me shoot, which is, you know, like it, it's a hard, I think it was Logan from Mallard Bay who was kind of making fun of me a little bit because we had a, a moment in Texas, yeah. um, the Texas episode, right. which isn't out yet, but it will be. So, so stay tuned. Um, there's a crane right there, right here looking at me, um, and they were haunting me in Texas a little bit. It was because, a stressful hunt. Yeah. As a camera guy, my first instinct is to always film first. And so this group of cranes comes in. I'm like, oh, this is sweet. It's going to be a banger day. And everyone like almost limits out right there. Like this huge group comes in. I'm like, sweet. It's one of those days where I can actually relax and hunt. And then not a single crane flew after that. Nope. And so I'm like, ooh, and we only had two days in Texas. Right. And I'm like, this and that was, this, that was the first afternoon. That was the first afternoon. And we didn't even know at the time if we were going to hunt cranes again. Right. And so I'm thinking, oh man, I may not, <laughs> may not get one, which I'm giving a little bit of the episode away here. Um, a little bit. That's okay. But anyways, the pressure comes on me at some point to pull the trigger and, and you haven't shot. And I haven't shot in, in yeah. <laughs> a while because I've been behind the camera and, and I, I watch these people shoot the cranes. And then everyone is kind of on the same page, thankfully. And it's me. The only guy standing up in the blind is me. And Logan's like, get him, Kyle, get him, Kyle. <laughs> and like, for whatever reason, that shook me. And I may have may have missed. You whiffed uh, the first one. I may have whiffed the first one, <laughs> but I'm just not used to that to that pressure and switching from being behind a viewfinder <laughs> to being behind a bead is is a little challenging but all that to say um it's one of the challenges in this yeah. series is always going to be getting me on right. a bird with the gun and not the camera it's it's a yeah. it's a challenge because somebody's got to film it and we're 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 getting creative with right. you know like gopros and action cams sure. on guns and cuz there's there's still got to be footage right like you can't just be like magically there's a bird that appears in my hand it's you know, we well, got to tell you, some story. You can be, you can be a little brutal on me. I, I can take an okay photo, but me filming <laughs> so far is not God no. is to plan really. 
Yeah, we're trying. I don't pull focus real well. We're trying to get Ryan to where he can film out of auto I want mode. To. Um, if I you're know. filming in auto mode, stop. Um, because it's not good. It it it's ends bad. up yeah. It, it ends up not being great. Yeah. Um, especially in waterfowl, things are so fast it's, paced yeah. and, and exposure I get it now. is so different. I get yeah. it now. I mean, if you if you leave the camera to to auto exposure, think about it. I mean. You go from inside a pitch black blind right. to the sun. It's gonna be blown it's gonna out. Be blown. So by the time that thing adjusts to the exposure, the bird's already on the ground. Exactly. So uh, yeah, there's a there's endless podcasts I could do about how to dial in your settings, more, and we will more to come on that. We, we will do that. So future. if you want to learn, that's one of the the offshoots of Road to 100. I want to help people get to that point to where yeah. they can film birds and be as good as they can be on a budget with limitless sure. budget, like with whatever. Um, and I'm. With these situations that were put in across the world and in this in the United States, doing the birds here and across the world with different situations, different blinds, it's really interesting. There's that first day is always so <laughs> hectic. Ryan just doesn't even be around me when it's the first day, and where he's just like, <laughs> I'm gonna let him your, do I'm his shoot thing. birds until yeah. you can get because I am right so frantic because you you don't know what you're going into, especially in other countries. Yeah, and for that's sure. a challenging aspect. Not only like it's one thing to be like, uh, I guess I'll just pop up and shoot birds. It's another thing to be like, I'm like a hundred yards from people, I know. and the the foreigners don't understand that I need to be close to these guys, and I'm swapping lenses and doing things. That first day right. is always stressful, but I. All of that being said, that gives me an uh, experiences to help teach people, and I can Absolutely. convey that knowledge. I can condense that knowledge for you guys to uh, to learn a little bit faster. I think that's what's going to be kind of cool about the project. Like, not only are we going to show all these different waterfowl hunting scenarios, how and why people do things different culturally in their waterfowl hunting pursuits in different continents, countries, etc., but the opportunity to learn from somebody like yourself, because in my opinion, some of the things that you're doing and you know hunting film and editing right now is is pretty dare i say it's not revolutionary but it's like it's innovative for our space right now right uh we haven't seen some of the things in this space that you're going to be doing which is really cool and so to be able to learn from somebody like yourself as well as learn some of these you know hunting things that we're going to be doing along the way as far as blind setup decoy setup calling techniques blah 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 it's just it's it's meant to be educational. It's been it's meant yeah. to help people along the way. If you're a brand new hunter, awesome. If you've been yep. doing this for forty years, awesome. There's something to learn, no matter what phase you're in. And so yeah. that's what we hope this project can really do. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome journey to follow along what, with. What are you looking forward to the most? As we so let's let's bring people up to be a little bit more. We think this is going to be about a five year process. That I've got I've got spreadsheets built out the same as I would for any business and how we're going to achieve this goal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be about five years, potentially six. But looking at that, and we've got a long road ahead of us here. Yep. What are you looking forward to the most, do you think? So I think my answer has changed over time and over some information that you've given me. So you were telling me before we started this podcast that what part of Australia is it that – because ah. we were we were worried – um, we right. have plans. Is it season two or three? So for season two was the plan to go to Australia. Yeah. So before you guys know it, we, we want to be in Australia and, mm-hmm. um, which is just cool because everyone's right. seen Crocodile Dundee and we love Australians, oh, yeah. but we saw it a little bit with COVID, um, the rights and the restrictions and oh stuff that those people, those, those good people over there are getting trampled by their government. Yeah. 
And that's not only with COVID, that's with waterfowl. Specifically and, waterfowl. And I didn't know that, which yeah. is bad. Like it's, it's, it's bad that they can restrict that information. We should be shouting this from the rooftop. So um, we were worried because our, our, we were worried from our side that we wouldn't be able to film in Australia right. because w there was a chance there for a while that completely Australia would not allow hunting whatsoever within its borders for waterfowl as of the end of 2023 this year. Correct. Correct. Um, and so there's been good news. Yeah. Yeah. So the Northern territory is definitely staying open. Um, and then gosh, I can't remember the other province. Um, shoot, I'm having a brain fart, but that Melbourne area sh look is looking good. It's it's, we're basically waiting for South Australia, that province to, yeah give the okay. So next month when this is airing actually in January. So as you're listening to this, we're going to be still probably anxiously waiting for yeah. um, an, an answer on this, whether or not uh, Southern Australia as a province will still be able to to allow their hunting heritage rights to hunt waterfowl. And so fingers crossed, if that's the case, then we'll probably be going to Australia potentially twice for season yeah. two. Because the, the different the different hunting times and correct. regulations across the, yep. the provinces are, are different. They're so different. you could go at one point and hunt south, but not hunt north just right. based on regulations. And totally different hunts, totally different, different species. Birds. Yeah. yeah, the whole thing. Um, so that, that all tees up my answer, <laughs> which is Australia 100%, which there was, I had a different answer, I think, a few months ago, but- as I've thought about it and I've started editing episodes of this series, meeting people, um, understanding how this project is going to unfold and how much waterfowl in the places that we go to. And usually there's someone there that grew up there. Yeah. Seeing their story that is just like our story, wherever it yeah. is, uh, in this country, in another country, they had that same moment where the wind cut through the wings of the birds oh, yeah. and it clicked for them. And it has for generations. Mm -hmm. And to think that a government could take that away from people is outlandish to us as Americans. Sure. It, we, you know, we like to think that could never happen. But there's battles being fought for people just like us um, over in Australia right now, where it's a real thing. They don't know if they're right. going to be allowed to continue the heritage what, that their grandfathers did and their yeah. fathers before them. Like they don't even know if that's going to happen next year. It's that. Yeah. It's crazy. it's crazy. And it's we, crazy. we have to realize that this isn't a battle we want to fight on our home turf. Right. It's it's something we want to take And you better believe of. that things like that, oh. the, it, the ripple effect around the world is, yeah. is a very serious thing. We, we already see it in, in, you know, big game hunting, like mm -hmm. importation, exportation, you know, legalities that have been squashed over in the UK right now. And, yeah. you know, restrictions on bringing African animals back into the United States, et cetera, et cetera. To see it happen with waterfowl, in Australia, that's scary. Yeah. So hopefully this can, a lot of this project will be an awareness piece. I think. Yeah. That's, you know, that's why I'm so interested from a, a bigger than me perspective, like yeah. telling a story. It's not just about a couple guys hunting right. this, knowing that something I make could potentially save a country's, you know, perspective yeah. <laughs> on waterfowl and in turn change some of the rules and regulations that are being written to eradicate hunting in general yeah. over in Australia. Like to, to play any part in that right. is awesome. Like I, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of pressure and we, we're not even for sure going over there, but I'm already thinking like, man, this is, this is a shot yes. for me to make a difference on a, uh, as a creative in a way that I wouldn't have an opportunity to sure. hear. And so I am very excited to do something around Australia and do what I can to bring awareness, teach about the sport, and maybe open it up 
um, in a way where non-hunters in Australia would be like, well, I may not like it, but right. it's it's not wrong. Yeah, at least understand. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is a harvest method. This is something that is cultural. This is, is something that you can't just just take away right. from from a country that, you know, um, has had some stuff taken from it in yeah. the past, you know, with, with the natives there and everything Absolutely. like, you just can't take away oh, something yeah. out of a culture. The, the story of, of that, we're just talking about one location that we're going yeah. to, the story of that location. Um, it, it's hard not to want to do a deep dive into it right now, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm super looking forward to that one too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, it's hard for me to answer that question myself. I think, it may be a little cheesy, but like it's for me, it's become about the people. Like I've had the opportunity yeah. to go and hunt so many places for different big game animals and waterfowl species. And that's all great. Um, it started out as like, maybe I'll, I'll be admit it probably started out a little bit egotistical. I wanted to check the box. I, I wanted yeah. to have that animal in my hands and, and, and learn how to hunt them and, and, and feel that success. And now it's like, I still enjoy that process. I fell in love with the process, but it has nothing to do like, there's animals I want to go get places I want to go see, but it's about the people. Now it's about yeah. meeting new people, learning from them, um, having a deeper understanding of, you know, how and why they do what they do. And then being like, huh, this is going to make me a better, better, well-rounded hunter. Um, when I come back home to Montana, whether I'm hunting elk or, you know, Canada geese or whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, it just allows me to be a better person and have, you know, friends worldwide. And so, it's become about that for me, but yeah. I think what's cool too is, you know, giving some people expectation of, you know, a little bit more of the project. We kind of, we, we've kind of solidified it's we're chasing hundred species. We're going to have cool guests, meet new people, go to yeah. these locations, but, but what locations? And I think, yeah, I don't want to give away all of them, yeah. but you know, we can maybe at least talk about season one and what they can expect, I think. Yeah. So, um, do you want to just jump into what we filmed so far? Let's talk about what we've done so far, because because okay. basically we have the first half of season one done. Yeah, so um, it started out like I said with the uh, pilot with the pilot, um, which we had Logan Mo, um, mm. one of the owners of Mallard Bay, who is the title sponsor of the Road right. to One Hundred and one of the earliest sponsors to come on board. They Biggest just, supporter from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they they've been there and. Um, Logan actually wanted to be a part. So for, for his business, Mallard Bay, mm -hmm. um, explain a little bit more about Mallard Bay. Yeah. So, cause yeah, so I'm, I'm an investor and advisor in, in Mallard Bay and guide tech. And so essentially it's, um, it's a tech company in the outdoor space. Uh, the, the coolest part of what they do is through guide tech and it's a more of a B2B platform. Mm -hmm. Um, excuse me. So it's, if you think about different, um, business needs for a guide or outfitter, whether it be hunting, fishing, doesn't matter. Um, but it's business tools that they can use to support their business, helps them be a more efficient, more organized business person. Now, the B2C side of that is if you think about, you know, a booking agency meets Airbnb meets right. e-com store on steroids. Yeah, that's that's the Mallard Bay side of it. And so incredibly unique um, business model that they've built. Super yeah. cool story. These are a bunch of guys out of LSU that graduated like two years ago. Yeah. And they're just crushing it with this business right yeah. now. And I've been super honored to get to work with them and do some consulting. And yeah. and that's how I met Logan. Yeah. And and they loved the idea of what we were doing and all this was kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. And so so that happened uh right at the perfect time. And and Logan 
wanted to be a part of as many episodes as he could yeah. for season one. Right. And obviously running a big tech yeah. company is a little bit <laughs> hard on your time. Yeah. And so um, he's in some of the episodes because I think it was smart of him to start to get that experience, not only yeah. um, being with different guys and outfitters in the States, but seeing how things are done overseas. And for sure. I'm, I'm sure the game plan is to be global knowing Oh, yeah. and and, yes. and his team the yes. plans to be global so yes. so learning a little bit about um the way that the world hunts the way that the US hunts in different areas um it's a it's beneficial and so he's on a few of our hunts i think how many in total is he is he on he was it'll with be, us in Sweden so it'll be it'll end up being five episodes of so Sweden Canada West Texas which is five episodes in just those yeah, yeah. so so for what almost half of our episodes mm -hmm. in season one, Logan is w there with us, right? Getting hands on experience and putting that in his business brain and plugging right. it into Mallard Bay. So that's that's cool to see. So, so Logan joined us on a few of those, and and so we started out in Sweden. Mm -hmm. Um, we then went to Canada, Alberta, yep, Alberta part one, part one, <laughs> Alberta part two <laughs> with Cole Townsend. Um, and then where did we go from there? And then, uh, we went to Amarillo, West Texas, right. uh, yep. with Toby. Yep. Toby Rowland. Um, Cole was down there too, which is fun yeah. to kind of reconnect him. <laughs> and the cool thing, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun. So like, gosh, let me back up. So, so Sweden, we also had Kevin from RW Coolidge. Yes, that's who right. Who's been a friend of yeah. mine for years and, um, another business that, that I have been fortunate to get to, to kind of help out with. Um, super cool products. You'll see them throughout yep. the entirety of, yep. of and they're the products are growing. We're getting yeah. the, the privilege to <laughs> test some products. If you and, like old nostalgic like leather yeah. and like wax, wax canvas, canvas goods, is like where it's at. this is he's got an impressive collection of of products yeah. he's building. Um so Kevin was there with us in Sweden and then uh we hunted with Cole the first trip in, in Alberta, and then we went back with our buddy Hunter, Hunter who Jarvis. you and I have hunted with yeah. a few times. And a friend yep. of mine, um, Paul Sawyer, who is yep. one of the co-founders of Whitetail Properties, met us up there. Yeah. And we hunted with them. Super yep. cool podcast yeah. that people can look forward to on yeah. that one. Not only with with Paul but, and Whitetail Properties, but with Hunter. Yeah. So two podcasts out of that one. And yeah. and that's one thing that I didn't expect right. as a filmmaker. I was like, oh, it's gonna be all about the films. Like I, you know, but the podcasts have been awesome. Yeah. I think we didn't, we didn't explain that. Now yeah. I feel like we got to back up again. Yeah. Well, basically, so all of these places that we're going, you're going to see an episode, you're going to see these characters. And one of my biggest like grievances with this project was that, man, I, as a storyteller, you have to build character. Sure. Like yeah. you have to develop that character and, and introduce people. And, and it's so fast paced. I mean, we if can't. you're a waterfowl hunter, you know, yeah. That it's it's you wake up at four thirty, you slam an energy drink or drink as much right. coffee as you can, eat some powdered donuts, and right. you you hunt, and, and then you and sleep. In, a, in a handful of days. There's no you, you way can't. to tell a story, and we we acknowledged that early on, and so we said, well, we're already going to try to do a podcast. Why not just take some travel headsets with us and bring on these awesome people that we're hunting with? Right. And so that is – we're here in HQ, Road to 100 HQ in Bozeman, but we will be traveling, the traveling podcast. Mm -hmm. And, man, has it been awesome yeah. to, to really – so the story development for these characters and these awesome peoples and these journeys that they've been on, their own waterfowl experiences, crazy guide stories, everything you can think of crammed yeah. into a podcast that's just amazing. For sure. On every trip. We've talked about religion. We've talked about – freaking drug addiction. I think we've talked about, <laughs> um, you know, business failures, business successes, like 
the highs and lows of every, I mean, yeah. the, the whole roller coaster. And yeah. I feel like the learnings and inspiration that, have, that come from those, like, oh man, hopefully they, they, people enjoy them as much as we did in being part of those conversations. Yeah. So it's a, it's a chance to listen to a podcast in the waterfowl space that truly encompasses everything. Right. Like, I mean, not only from a personal level, getting to know people, but a place and a style of hunting that is new to you maybe. Right. I mean, we were recently, so after Texas, we went to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Right. Yep. With the, with the ponders. Yep. Um, Friends Gray of mine from Ponder. a long time that I've never even hunted with. Yeah. And that was, that was years. a great yeah. podcast as so well. Um, Gray being a champion shooter, yeah. um, putting us to shame with his oh shotgun gosh. skills. I, I feel like I'm pretty handy with a shotgun. <laughs> I'm pretty handy at killing. But watching some of that footage, but watching back, him, dude, man. yeah, I'm um, envious. So, that kid so we, is so I mean, we even dove man. into a little bit of sub gauges and and how right. to shoot and when to shoot and what to use. Right. So uh, that's another unique thing that we'll we'll be able to show in between episodes is, right. is a little bit of a get to know you for the character. Since we don't have time in these episodes to really do a documentary sit down mm -hmm. with these people, the chance to get to know those people is here on the, the road to 100 podcast. Yeah. So it works out pretty well. It's cool. I think, it's different because it's like an hour feature length, get yeah. to know you on exactly. these crazy cool people. Here's the cool hunt. Yeah. Here's the species. This is where we were cool. Yeah. And then deep character dive yeah. with the podcast. I think it just brings it all full circle. Yeah. Um, so if you're a fan of the, either the, podcast series or the film series right you almost have to listen or watch the other one sure. to, to really because so, if you listen to someone here you're obviously want to going to want to see this guy shoot right yeah. now at this point <laughs> you've, you've heard a grace ponder and you're like wow they're saying he shoots really well well now i gotta go watch it because go watch it, it, that yeah. dude puts on a master class in a floating dude, wavy layout super boat, impressive which man for my first time that was rough i can tell you that that it's takes tough. some skill to be shooting. able to do um so yeah this the the whole series will tie together podcast and films pretty seamlessly. And I think that's, so too. I'm very excited about that. It'd be cool. And I feel like we've got a strong second half for season one coming up too. I don't want to yeah, go into too much of it. That's hush-hush right it's now. It's hush-hush. But we, we had, we've had some ringing around the rosy with guests. Um, yeah. So part of what this journey is going to be, just yeah. unfortunate things happen. Which and, we've both had experiences with um, in the production side of oh, yeah. television. It just... Part of it. It just is what just it is. Roll with the punches. Know? So fingers crossed that we can... Uh, sub some some other really cool people in as well but i feel like yeah. yeah i think you know for for those of you that you know follow along um i think what you can expect is you know some some really cool stories to be told um, meeting some really cool people maybe learning about some waterfowl species you didn't know about um we'll probably do some gear reviews um just talking about you know what we like what we don't like yeah. um take that for whatever yep. you want to take it for um, and, and yeah, it's meant to be a good time. We hope we have a lot yeah. of cool engagement. Like, tell us what you think, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. Yeah. Um, you know, this is meant to be a community project. Yeah. Oh, and, and don't get me wrong either. There's going to be some pillowcasing close up slow-mo oh. of some birds dying. If you so, want to see some like super talented work from Kai, I'm definitely tune in. I don't know about talented. Somebody's shooting the bird. Um, I'm just filming it, but <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's going to be, there's going to be carnage as well. I just want to throw that out there. For, if if y'all think this is going to be the BBC documentary, no, it's not that it's not, it's, it's not uh, that. it's, it's a waterfowl yeah. um, series. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And like you said, we're, we're playing around tinkering, always trying to, to stay on the futuristic side of yeah. filmmaking. Um, so it's, it's awesome. So you know what I want to do to wrap this one up? 
Oh no. The same thing that we've I, been. Yeah. I figured. <laughs> Put <laughs> so, me on the spot. So a, a trend that, um, that you'll see throughout all the podcasts is at the end with each guest, we're going to ask them, uh, two questions. First one being, if you could hunt any waterfowl species, um, what would it be? What's your number one bucket list bird that you don't have yet? Mm -hmm. And then the second question is, if you could hunt in any location around the world, where would that location be? Somewhere, yep. you, again, somewhere you have not been. And we wrap every show, every guest with, with that. these and two it's, questions. That's one thing that I've loved hearing the answer to from <laughs> everybody. Yeah, everyone's got a little bit different yeah. answer, which is really cool. Um, so, Who's going first, you or me? Do you want me to go first? Since sure, I yeah. put you on the spot. Okay, yeah. so um, for me, number one species, um, to date, I'm at 79. We'll call that unofficial. Right. Right. So, because Road to okay. 100, we're... We didn't actually cover that either. So, so Ryan's obviously shot oh, a, a lot of birds. I've shot a few birds. Um, and uh, we're actually... So, th the way the project ended up working out, we're going start to finish. You will Starting see at zero. 100 yeah. species. And, and uh, the challenging part, like I said, is going to be getting me those birds. But I think yeah. either way, both of us will reach 100 waterfowl species yes. across the world. And you will see each of those Everything birds. Alone. That's the goal. Yep. It's not Ryan starting at 79 and me starting at right. like 20. Right. It's the whole shebang, start to finish. You'll see it. Um, and so um, that being said, go that ahead. That being said, the the one that I personally don't have and we don't have for the project yet is the pygmy goose the cape mm. pygmy goose from south africa yeah um really cool special little bird um pygmy if people hear goose and they think something big like some of these guys yeah. but it's but, it's actually probably a little bit smaller or just the same size as a teal yeah um really striking features on it of white black and yellowish and this iridescent green they're they're gorgeous um it's it's not a volume hunt it is like big game hunting for one little waterfowl species so that would be my my number one bird on my list. Location-wise, I think, um, oh, geez, this changes from week to week. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that I have not been to. I'm going to go with Pakistan. Okay. I think Pakistan because when I, when I think about all the places I've been, and I think I've been to around 20-something different countries hunting, the – the depth of, of richness, richness and culture is, is the places that I remember the most and, and were my favorites. Yeah. And I just, what I know about Pakistan, yeah, it's dangerous. I get it, whatever. Don't care. Um, but that area actually probably rivals the amount of shooting in, in Argentina from a volume perspective, a lot of cool species, definitely an, a super unique culture, et cetera. So I think I'm most excited about that location for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start with location because I'm still <laughs> unsure on the species. Um, Location-wise, I'm I'm torn between two, but I have to answer for one of them. And I don't I don't know if it, the project will take us here or not. Um, regardless of if it does or not, we'll probably end up on a buddy hunt of some sort. Thing I know and Mongolia. <laughs> um, I, We're for, going. For whatever weird reason, I have this obsession <laughs> with Mongolia, the Mongolians hunting yeah. with eagles, hunting wolves with eagles on miniature pony horseback, like what? Right. And throat singing. I, I genuinely a have cool a, place. a playlist of <laughs> Mongolian throat singing that I listen to. Like when I, when I get on a plane, when the plane's taking off, that's what I'm listening to because for whatever reason, it gets me hype. I don't know why. 
I just love it. And I love the culture aspect yeah. of Mongolia, um, the landscape, everything sure. about it. So, um, so we are going, well, I'm going, I would like for you to go and film too, yeah. but I'm going in 2025 to hunt ibexes, so right. not birds. Hopefully we'll get there for birds if they reopen it. Yeah. So, which we're, we're pending. So hopefully by the end of this project, they reopen but maybe and we, can go we for birds. But maybe we do that Mongolia trip as a uh, detour. Yeah. We're, we're toying with the idea of road to 100 detours to where if we do anything when we're on a project and it, you know, goes over and there's a chance to, to shoot something or do something in that country, whether it be fishing, hunting, yeah, whatever, right. it would be a detour outside of the episode, it, but something yeah. awesome that you guys can watch. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but stateside, you know, shooting elk, bear, whatever. Fro we, we, we don't just like sleep during the summer and, yeah, no, you know, uh, all that stuff all detours. Um, so there's a, a big potential for that as this project grows, but, um, yeah, I definitely, we've been talking about that and I told you make sure my flight doesn't leave for a week after yeah. yours does, because I'm going to stay there and I'm going to fish in for Mongolia yeah. for some taming. <laughs> um, that has been big bucket list yeah. for me for a long time. And you better be careful because I might, you may not hear from me. I'm going to throw my phone back. in the water and then you're just, I don't know what you're going to do. There's going to be an empty seat right I here. Could, totally see you just not coming I mean, home. I'm already off grid. It might as well be in a yurt. It's true. Uh, <laughs> not much different. No, not much different. Probably warmer. <laughs> probably so. Um, but yeah, so Mongolia so would Mongolia. be my place. My species, you kind of like kind of took mine. Um, I really want one of those pigments. Just the color the cool. on those things. They're so is, cool. Just like the wow factor of the color is, and, and obviously people don't even know what they are. Um, yeah. I didn't before you told me. Most people don't know. Um, so uh, you beat me to that one. Um, since you've done so much worldwide hunting, and I'm still kind of wetting my feet in that area, um, I'm a little bit behind just in the North American waterfowl. Sure. So I would say that I'm going to give the most common answer <laughs> that is the everyone, almost everyone to this point has said. And I'm sure you guys can guess the king of the the North American species, cool, the, the king eider, man. Grab that thing. I mean, grab this decoy. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about who made this guy. Yeah, right so here. Michael Braun, who is going to be one of our, or in fact, that's where we're going next. Um, so this is king eider. This is a hand carved decoy, world champion decoy carver. Yep. Um, Super, super cool. This might be one of my most favorite things in this room. But This is awesome. It's pretty yeah. cool. So king eiders are, are found in the Bering Sea um, off of St. Paul Island is the most common place you'll get them. But you can also hunt them in Greenland. A little bit more of a... Yeah. I'd love to do it in Greenland. I know. A little bit more of a, a different adventure. It's it's kind of new, actually. And yeah. so anyways, but the king eider, but got a couple mounted back over here, too. So... Trust yeah. me, I, I'm I'm anxious to go and hunt them again too. This is this is one of those birds that I mean, name king in there for a reason. It's uh, everything about the experience I've heard mm -hmm. is awesome, and the people cool. that haven't been want to go. So all of those clues tell me <laughs> that this should be number one on my list, um, yeah. and it is. I think um, it's an adventure because, like you've touched on before, this like say this is the dead bird. This would be, it would be a memory, but it would right. be the probably the least on the front of my mind that the thing that I would think about just on the trips that we've already been on, I forget about the, just the yeah. bird. I, I kind of, right. it, it's at the back of my mind. Right. The, the, the thing that I remember the most is everything that got me to that point, the relationships that yep. I made, the dangerous things that we did to do that. You know, <laughs> I, it, it's the adventure, which is, right. it's always been, it should be that way 
for everyone. I think exactly. it's, it's not about killing something and eating it. Yeah. It's, it's just this ingrained thing in our DNA. We have this drive, whether it's in your backyard or in Mongolia, we right. have this drive for adventure and it's, that's what it's about. And I think that's why people like this. The people that have been, have been saying you need to go, you need to go yeah. because it's an adventure to get Unlike one of these things. Unlike anything else, yeah. all the waterfowl species I've hunted, there's not any other experience that, that matches that. It's its own unique yep. thing. And I can't wait to yeah. to make a film around that. So sure. that's that's why the King Eider is probably <laughs> a good one to my have on answer the <laughs> for this season. <laughs> Once I mark it off, then I'll have to start thinking about what the next one is <laughs> yeah. um, and, and where it's, that adventure is. That's the beauty waits. of it, though. Like, Because yep. even at 79, yeah. I've still got oh. – like something's going to take the place at that number yeah. one on the bucket list always. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and you yeah, start to, stops. you start to realize that the, the adventure is calling you. you yeah. Know? And that's, and, and that's it too. It's like some of these places that I've been to and that we're going to go to, we would never dream of going to no. yeah. or even knew it existed, but it's because it's like, okay, well, what are these hundred something birds that we're going to go after? Yeah. Oh, well, where's that? Where's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find a map. And then you go and you <laughs> and figure you it out. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh. It's going to be a fun ride and I can't wait for season one to actually launch. And at this time, have we, when this podcast releases, will we have dropped episode one already or will this release right before episode this will, one? This will drop before episode one. Okay. So you guys that are listening, episode <laughs> one, Sweden, pilot episode part one is about to drop and we actually just watched it. Um, I, I've edited part one. It's awesome. And, um, it's awesome. It's, yeah, it's it's you're in for a ride. So, um, if you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, that's where primarily our content is going to go. Obviously on socials, but our our long form content in these episodes and the podcast will both be on YouTube, and you can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. But you guys make sure to follow along for the journey. If it's, if this interests you at all, this is going to be something that you can follow for a long time. This is a story. Um, like I haven't seen stories told in the waterfowl industry. I mean, this is, this isn't about a guy that goes in his backyard and hunts. This is about a bunch of people in a bunch of places and the sport itself and everything. So make sure and follow along because it's happening. Here we go. I'm excited. Yeah, me too.